Hey everybody, uh, just a really quick announcement before we get started. I am doing a live stream show this week on the 24th of January, 2022 at 6.30 p.m. Pacific time. It's going to be a YouTube stream and uh, you can find a link in the info for this episode. I'll also put a link on my Instagram bio if you don't quite know where to find it. So uh, yeah, come hang out with me. Watch me play some songs. I'm going to play some new songs. I'll probably have some special guests. It should be a really fun time and it's going to be my last major live stream before I go to the Arctic. Uh, I, I, I'm not, I might do like a little Instagram stream or something, but in terms of something planned ahead of time with a set list, that'll be happening. I, I will be taking requests as well. So, uh, come on down. If you get this information before 6 30 PM Pacific standard time, the 24th of January, 2022, for those of you listening in the future, uh, hello, let's get to the episode. Have we got a show for you? I've no idea what we'll do. Welcome, my friends, to this charming tableau. Have we got a show for you? Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Strangely and Friends, the podcast. My name is Strangely. This is the podcast, and if you're listening to it, that makes you one of the friends. Uh, let's see, has there been anything interesting happening lately? Uh, not, not, I, I don't know, I haven't really been following much of anything, uh, in the news. Uh, I saw a thing on Wikipedia when I was looking up something else that apparently this December we're getting a new Doctor Who, uh, somebody's gonna be replacing J- Jodie Whittaker, I think is the current Doctor Who. Uh, g- great. It sounds like she made quite a lot of Doctor Who. Uh, I haven't been watching Doctor Who much lately. Uh, I <laughs> caused a great deal of consternation for a friend of mine yesterday when I mentioned that we are uh, about a year a year away from the 60th anniversary of Doctor Who. It's uh, maybe more like a year and a half, but sometime in 2023 they will be doing a 60th anniversary Doctor Who something uh and my friend was like we just did the 50th (laughs) so anyway i mean i i haven't really noticed a lot of the passage of time in the way that uh some people do you know i i didn't get invited to my 10-year high school reunion um for reasons that i think should be obvious to anyone who knew me back then i i don't blame them for not wanting me around uh yeah, I, am I sad about that? I've never really paused to wonder. I, I guess? I don't know. Uh, write me a postcard if you think I should be sad about it. <laughs> uh, I guess that about does it for what passes for current events in Strangely World these days. Uh, oh, uh, one other unscripted thing. I just recently watched uh, the, that HBO uh co-production with sky television or whoever the the anyway um it's called the young pope starring jude law and it's phenomenal uh it's it was a limited series they made a sequel series called the new pope i'm not quite done with that it's the new pope is not as good as the young pope the young pope is excellent uh i'm not catholic or even particularly religious but i thought it was 
a beautiful meditation on faith and power and and what it means to be connected to a sort of traditional old guard faith-based organization in the modern era with the concerns that we have in the modern era uh but yeah that's 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 about it uh let's uh let's move on with this episode Strangely recommends in 200 words or less, including these 11. Who, who imposed this rule? Benedetta. I cannot remember the last time I felt such an urge to tell people about a film I saw. Th- then again, this is the kind of thing that's somewhat embarrassing to admit you liked, let alone saw. Here's the elevator pitch. Black Narcissus by way of Grindhouse. Then again, what do you expect for a movie about lesbian nuns that looks like an awards bait prestige picture, but, oh yeah, it's directed by Paul Verhoeven, the absolute madman who gave us Starship Troopers and Showgirls. Still, once you get past the more fantastical and prurient aspects of the story, what emerges is less a transgressive piece of kitsch than it is a meditation on the nature of faith, miracles, and the politicization of religion. I am also a vocal proponent of any piece of art that seeks to portray people in the past as possessing the same basic human traits as we do today. And this movie takes that torch and runs with it. Is it high art? Maybe not. But it'll definitely make you feel... something. And isn't that what art is all about? New Year's Resolutions, or the 4-3-2-1 list. I'm going to open with a quote from Neil Stevenson's cyberpunk classic, Snow Crash. Until a man is 25, he still thinks, every so often, that under the right circumstances, he could be the baddest motherfucker in the world. If I moved to a martial arts monastery in China and studied real hard for 10 years, if my family was wiped out by Colombian drug dealers and I swore myself to revenge, if I got a fatal disease and had one year to live and devoted it to wiping out street crime... If I just dropped out and devoted my life to being bad. (laughs) End quote. Then again, there is something of a counterpoint offered by one of my favorite inspirational quotes. This is from Mary Schmick's 1997 graduation advice, Everyone's Free to Wear Sunscreen, which was made famous by Baz Luhrmann's excellent song adaptation. Don't waste your time on jealousy. Sometimes you're ahead. Sometimes you're behind. The race is long, and in the end, it's only with yourself. In the midst of these dark, wintry months, I feel like the timing is right to think about my plans, my hopes for the future, and what lessons I've learned in the past. Both the above quotes have weighed heavily in my mind as I consider some of my more quantifiable failures to meet the very simple goals I set for myself. I'm sure you are familiar with the concept that failure, no matter how annoying, can be a great teacher. I guess. I mean, nowhere have I failed more than in the realm of New Year's resolutions, and yet, perhaps by designing failure into the program, one can actually still accomplish a great deal, and maybe learn something along the way. At the end of 2019, I created a list of several New Year's resolutions and publicly shared them with the listeners of this podcast. The 2020 resolutions ranged from the vague, quit streaming stuff, and learn to understand my carbon footprint, to the concrete, Make at least 36 episodes of this podcast, read 52 books, and read Moby Dick. The final resolution was somewhere in between. 
learn to speak Finnish. Looked at one way, you could say I was a titanic failure at my resolutions. I did not finish reading Moby Dick. I did not learn to speak Finnish. I did make 36 episodes of this. I did not make 36 episodes of this podcast. <laughs> I think the final number was somewhere in the neighborhood of 20. And I most certainly did not discontinue consuming streaming media. The fact that I entered 2020 with this as a planned trajectory is one of the great historical jokes of my life. To my credit, I did hold out until some point in mid-May, stolidly ordering and borrowing DVDs, even as my peers finally decided to get caught up on that one show they always had been meaning to watch. There was a bright spot, though. I did not read 52 books. I read 121, more than double my original number. Sure, I failed in many of my aspirational goals, but I did accomplish something impressive. What is it about the idea of resolutions in general? Why do we keep making them if we fail so often? After all, if we cared about our decision to go on a diet, crack open a classic book, or call a loved one more often, why would we fail to follow through? I argue it's because a resolution is about a goal, a direction, a person you want to be, something you are headed toward. We are all fallible and yet always capable of some kind of improvement. Perhaps that is why I went even bigger with the following year's resolutions. Undaunted by my previous failures and buoyed by my success at overachieving at one out of six resolutions, I created the 4321 list. 43 things I wanted to accomplish in 2021. Just like the 2020 list, these ranged from the concrete and attainable, number three, finish reading Moby Dick, and number 16, apply to at least two grad schools, to the fantastical and difficult. Number 17, have my academic work published. Some of them seemed downright impossible. Number 39, acquire Brennivan, my favorite Icelandic spirit, pretty much only sold in Scandinavia, would have required number one, return to Europe, to happen. Indeed, rereading the list, I'm not entirely sure what some of these even mean. Number six, escape systems of coerced consent. Somebody was reading some marks. Uh, while the list included numerous difficult things, there were a few gimmies as well. I included number six, graduate from university, number 11, write a postcard, and number 18, finish watching Breaking Bad. I had less than 10 episodes to go to reach that last one, but it still felt like an accomplishment to finally get around to watching every season of what some call the greatest television show of all time. Uh, I liked it. It's <laughs> a little aside for you. That's not in the script. All told, I was able to achieve 26 out of 43 items, 60%. Compared to my 16% success rate the previous year, that is pretty dang amazing. Then again, it might still sound like a failure. Only 60%? That's not even a D. Even with a failing grade, looking over the list of things I did accomplish, I'm still happy I made the list. There are numerous things on it, like number two, apply to the Arctic Circle Artist Residency, and number 13, Flossmore that I doubt would have happened without appearing on the list. In 2021, I achieved successes I would have thought impossible, and I failed at things I thought would be easy, but I'm glad I tried. That's why I will always write big, long lists of things I want to accomplish in a given year from here on out. Even if I only manage to tick off a single item from a list of 43, that is still something I wanted to do, and then did. 
For 2022, I've upped the ante and written a list of 44 things I want to try to have done. I call it the 4422 list. While it took me a considerable amount of time to come up with 43 things last year, it was easier writing the list for this year. I already had 17 unaccomplished things from last year's list. Instead of beating myself up about not managing things like Number 8. Finish reading Empire Express I was able to acknowledge that I had read loads of other books, and this one can still be in the queue. I once visited the house of a friend who had an entire wall of her home devoted to a kind of vision board or planning space. An area the size of a ping pong table was divided up into four quadrants marked this week, this month, this year, this decade. There were hundreds of post-it notes on the wall tracking everything. Grocery lists, college applications, books to read, health observations, dreams, schemes, and skin creams. It was all up there. On another wall was a small cluster of post-it notes under the word VICTORY. I asked how the system worked. It's simple, she said. I try to move as many things from the planning wall to the victory wall as I can. If something doesn't happen, then I just move it to the month, year, or decade list. Everything moves... Eventually, it moves back to the week bit. There is always a place for things, and sometimes they happen later than I thought they would. I like that there is a place to catch the stuff I can't get to, instead of ignoring it and hoping that the shame will just fade away. I wish I could reproduce for you the exact wording of the conversation, not least because my friend is far funnier than I will ever be. Humor aside, I think I have captured the spirit of her system. She had set herself up with a perfect kind of to-do list, or maybe personal Kanban board. Failure was not only expected, it was actually part of the flow. Whenever I start to spiral into the self-recriminatory miasma that pulls down all self-employed artists during less-than-productive periods, I think of my friend and her board. She had discovered that it was far more important to maintain the general momentum of one's life rather than become focused on any specific goal at any given time. As I settle comfortably into my 30s, I witness ever-increasing numbers of my peers giving up on youthful causes, plans, and dreams. Why does it have to be this way? To be sure, some of the things we set aside as we grow older are probably for the best, but then again, maybe not. I may never end up being the baddest motherfucker in the world, and honestly, it sounds exhausting. Trying to buy a stick of butter at the grocery and ending up in an epic kung fu battle using shopping, ba shopping baskets as improvised weapons, it's... Oh, that bit could be fun. Sorry. Point is, I don't think I've ever had that particular fantasy. But I do always hope to be the best possible version of me. That second quote, the race is long and in the end it's only with yourself, has always traveled with me, reminding me that I'm not competing with anyone except for perhaps myself in the past. Strangely, from 2020, managed to read 121 books. In 2021, I raised that number to 131. I cannot wait to see what happens in 2022. Maybe I will read 150 books. Maybe I won't even make it past 10. Whatever happens, I just hope it's better than it was before. And even if it's not, there is probably a lesson to be learned there too. Now, if you'll excuse me, I need to get back to practicing my basket katas. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Oh, sometimes I write these scripts like in advance. And then when I'm reading them for the recording, I'm like, 
What are you talking about, dude? Uh... <laughs> Pokey Fright. Have you heard about Crazy Samurai Musashi? This action film is built around one very simple gimmick. The central action scene, comprising the bulk of the 91-minute running time, is a single, continuous shot. This isn't some kind of Alfonso Cuaron, Alejandro de Inaratu 1917 nonsense where the numerous cuts are hidden within whip pans, lens flares, or motion smoothing. This is the real deal. For 77 straight minutes, you get to watch Miyamoto Musashi fight 588 enemies. While the film purports to be based on historical events in the life of the real Miyamoto Musashi, a master swordsman, I have no idea how accurate it is. The team behind the film certainly do their best to make the world feel real and lived in. The fact that you actually watch this guy fight, hide, sneak, catch his breath, and drink water for over an hour adds boatloads to the sense of immersion. Tak Sagaguchi, I know I'm butchering these names, uh, so sorry. Tak Sagaguchi does an excellent job of playing the swordsman, and you really get to watch his energy lag as he becomes ever more beat up as the proceedings wear on. According to the promotional materials for the film, he broke a finger, a rib, and four teeth while shooting the central fight sequence. Damn. The film is bookended by a framing story setting up Musashi's fight with the Yoshioka... <laughs> God, I feel so bad. I didn't think about the fact I'd have to read this out loud. Uh, Musashi's fight with the Yoshioka clan. The Yoshiokas, I'm so sorry, have assembled a massive force, hundreds of men, in preparation for the arrival of a single attacker. At the beginning, some of the hired goons are talking amongst themselves, and one man who has seen Musashi fight before actually soils himself. It's a fun setup, and you can tell everyone is having a good time, even if they are playing some arch-stock characters. But when the film is solely constructed around such a bold gimmick, it lives or dies on the strength of that gimmick. Does it pay off? I can't say for sure. While it is undoubtedly impressive to watch this whole thing all at once, there is a definitive repetitiveness to everything. The moves being used seem pretty standardized, and many of the attacks get used dozens, if not hundreds of times. Watching this, I get the sense that the stunt teams figured out a few different combinations of moves and then employed them in a semi-improvised manner. Then too, there are obviously less than 588 guys, so they're tapping in and out. And you will notice some of the same faces showing up multiple times throughout Musashi's battle. There's one guy who seems to specialize in getting, like, flipped to the ground and then having his head stepped on. It, it's, like, clearly the same guy multiple times, so it's like, oh, here he comes, he's about to, oh, oh, there it is! The less repetitive moments, including some genuinely impressive boss battles with higher-ranking enemy swordsmen, are awesome, though. Not only for their interesting outcomes, but also because they are a welcome change of pace. Speaking of changes of pace, my favorite moment of the film occurs about halfway through, when Musashi sneaks off to catch his breath somewhere, or possibly pee, and the camera follows a pair of low-level en enemy samurai who fall to insulting one another and then start fighting each other. Despite my criticisms, this film is a very interesting piece of cinema. While the action may not always maintain the pace of a more traditionally edited film, they do manage to bring some fascinating things to the screen. The camera work is often excellent, capturing beautifully composed images that any regular crew would be proud to get, let alone that one has been filming straight for over an hour. By the time Musashi squares off against the big, 
bad boss bad guy during a sudden rainstorm, I was on the edge of my seat. It felt as though the gods themselves were taking an interest in the fight, too. If you like action movies, samurai movies, or movies with interesting cinematic gimmicks, check this one out. I'm not saying it's good, but at least now you've heard about it. <laughs> Mailbag. Uh, I got this lovely little postcard from my friend Sarah Shea that says that she hopes I have a good new year. And I also got one from my friend Esther that says that she hopes I have a good new year. So uh, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just taking this as a reminder to say to all of you, I hope that you're having a good new year. I hope that you've got some interesting resolutions and I hope that you're not too hard on yourselves about them. If you've got something you want to say to me or send to me, something you want me to talk about on the podcast, a book you want me to read, go ahead and send that stuff to Strangely, 1000 Harris Avenue, number 11, Bellingham, Washington, 98225. I look forward to hearing from you. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Strangely and Friends, the podcast. I, as always, am just absolutely face pressed to the ground, bowing down to my amazing supporters over on Patreon. Without all of you folks, this would not be possible. It really does keep the lights on in Strangely World. You have no idea how often that Patreon uh, PayPal payment is what buys groceries for me. Thank you all so much from the bottom of my heart. If you'd like to get on board and help start supporting this podcast, you can head over to patreon.com slash strangely to find out how you can become a supporter. I'm going to be sending out a funky little zine type thing to just my Patreon supporters at some point in the near future. I just um, am finishing up sending out zines to everyone who backed my Kickstarter back in November, and I really enjoy making them. I really like writing and it's a fun little way to share a piece of writing. So uh, keep your keep your ears to the ground and obviously everyone on Patreon will be the first to hear about it. So thanks so much for listening. I hope you are all somewhere safe and of a comfortable temperature and I will see you all next week. Cheers. <laughs>